Yes, good morning and welcome to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE Radio because we will give you loads of motoring advice. We're going to talk about what's happening in the car world and we'll let you have a voice on road safety issues. We're going to be keeping you company all the way through until noon. Here's a little of what idea of what's coming up. We're going to be talking about Abu Dhabi because Abu Dhabi has topped the list of capital cities with the least traffic congestion. Can you guess the city with the worst traffic in the world? Well, we're revealing that later in the show. Uh, but I want to hear from you. Uh, what was the longest time that you sat in traffic and where was it? I'll tell you what, if it was before 2009, Dubai would be pretty high on the list, I would think. Well, here's what I've been um, driving this week also. The BMW M3, which comes in uh, some pretty crazy colours. If you've seen my Instagram post, you'll see, you'll, uh, you'll understand why. The Ram Limited pickup, the Jeep Wrangler Sahara and a whole lot more. Uh, how many times can you drive an electric vehicle from Dubai to Abu Dhabi and back without recharging? That's a question that's actually been asked by quite a few people if they want to get an electric vehicle. Can I get to Abu Dhabi and can I get there and back? How many times? Well, we're comparing the, the battery lives of different electric vehicles and we'll be doing that with Salman Hussain, who's the CEO and co-founder of Fuse. Um, so uh, we could be very interesting to have a chat with him a little later on in the show and uh, we've got that and a whole lot more coming up on Motomania. But right now, it's it's time for Fix It or Flip It. Yep, very, very busy hour coming up for you, and uh, this is how it works. If you want to know the value of your car, you want to buy a car, you want to sell a car, tell us about it, and we'll tell you how much it's worth. And this is what we need from you. We need the make, we need the model, we need the year, we need the colour, and we need the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN player, but it won't be just me who's doing this because the man who's got the numbers is, of course, valuation guru Matthew Davison, who is the head of drive, uh, head of pricing at Algo Driven. And uh, good morning, Matthew. How are you this morning? Ah, we're back again, Damien. <laughs> yes, I tell you what, I appreciate you. Thank you for cancelling your Saturday morning plans to join us in the show because, uh, yes, we're, we're doubling up on this one. We were on the edge only, only a week ago, and we're back. And it's such a busy weekend. I mean, particularly for sport, you've got Monaco, uh, which is always, always exciting. And uh, I just, I'm praying for Charles Leclerc to win. I mean, being a Monegasi guy, uh, I just really want to see him stand on the podium finally at Monaco. And then you've got Champions League final later tonight as well. So it's going to be a big weekend. It's a huge weekend, yeah. And uh, the boys from Extra Time will be covering that from 6pm. Um, but but yeah, uh, uh, Charles Leclerc, he's uh, he's never finished at Monaco, and he's the only he's the only driver who's on the grid who's who's actually born in Monaco. A lot of guys live there, but he was actually born and grew up there. And um, it's only himself and we're talking Louis Chiron in nineteen twenty nine. The only two F one drivers or Grand Prix drivers that were actually born in Monaco. So a lot of pressure on the on the young fella, and he feels it. He's crashed out each time. So I hope that he uh, he pulls it off as well. Yeah, he crashed in the Classic, didn't he, a couple of weeks back. I think he was in Nicky Lauda's 70s um, car, yeah. I believe. Um, and so hopefully he's got his crash out of the way. So <laughs> well, let's see. He had a let's good see. But he had a good day yesterday. Yeah, your, top, your top practice sessions one and two yesterday. But uh, but every time he's raced there in a Grand Prix car, he's, uh, I think his best result was 18th, and that was in a Sauber. But we didn't actually finish that race. So he hasn't actually finished yet. So, yeah, a lot of he does he does feel the weight of his neighbours on him, that's for sure. Well, he's got the weather on his side. It's forecast fair and sunny for the whole week. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. Um, they were talking yesterday about a bit of rain there happening. But, uh, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll... Uh, <laughs> We'll keep this one out. Of yeah, the, the the rain was actually about a week ago. It was forecast to be all over this weekend, but it's just uh, the weathermen have got it wrong as usual, and and it's and it's not happening. But 
yeah, that's going to be exciting. Um, but we've got we've got lots to talk about today, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And of course, across the pond, we we're talking motorsport. Whenever there's motors, whenever there's Indy, whenever there's uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, there's the Indy 500, and that is happening this weekend as well. Um, and it's uh, Kiwi Scott Dixon who's on pole. So. I'm always torn on this weekend because I love the Indy 500. And um, Ed Jones, who was, who was born and bred here in Dubai, competed in it a couple of times a few years ago. So quite a close affinity to that one as well. But let's get on to some cars. Um, and let's go straight to the lines because uh, on air right now, I've got John. And um, uh, John has a 2009 Toyota Fortuna SR5. Good morning, John. Good morning. Well, jo- thank you for joining us this morning. So you have a uh, 2009 Toyota Fortuna SR5. Um, and you're looking to, uh, to to see what it's worth or looking to sell? Uh, well, both, actually. Looking looking to sell, yeah. We were going to keep it, but we've decided to sell. Um, it's um, had, a, had a lot of work done. It's in excellent condition, low mileage. It's, it's just done 197,000, which is quite low for that uh, year. It's got full-service history from Alpha Team Toyota and Fast Track. It's got... Uh, New Dunlop tyres, new new brakes, drive belt, gear shift cable, alternator assembly, new battery. Just had its 10k servicing, uh, so um, probably a good car for someone looking for you know a reliable low maintenance car for the next few years. Well, you've certainly uh, yeah you've certainly put the effort into that one, uh, Matthew. What do you think about the, the Fortuner SR5? Fairly popular here too. Yeah, yeah, and a great call to start the morning with. Um, you've got two engine variants for that. You've got the four-cylinder, the 2.7, and then the bigger four-cylinder V6. Normally, it would be the desirable car, but in these times of higher fuel prices, actually, although it's not the best engine setup, it's actually probably slightly more desirable at the moment. Uh, you're doing a great thing looking to move it on before you pass 200,000. Although with Toyotas and most of the Japanese cars, it's not as important uh, with higher kilometers, but I think psychologically to get rid of it, rid of it before two hundred thousand, the price is somewhere around thirty-three to thirty-five thousand in the market right now. But based on what you've said and the way you've talked about it, I think it will move quite quickly. It's at that price point now where a lot of people can get their hands on that type of money, and a, fortu- a Fortuna is such a desirable car. Great, thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much, John. I've got a quick text here too. 2014 BMW 7 Series. It's a 740Li navy blue with uh, 120,000 kilometres. That's from Roger. Yeah, the 7 Series have, have always been quite a difficult car to sell to the end user Yeah, because they, they you, you get driven in them and, and a particularly a lot of people pre-pandemic had drivers and went and back and forth to their offices in Abu Dhabi. But that kind of went with the pandemic and more people work from home. So they, they haven't held their value too well. That car is probably around 75,000 at the moment, 2014 with those kilometers. But wow. it's more the fact that they're actually not super easy to sell right now. Yeah, I, I find uh, I find that uh, near new BMW 7 Series are um, uh, just, they just lose so much value. They're amazing value for someone who wants to pick up a, a budget luxury car. But then it, it falls into that old pattern, doesn't it? You've got to be, you've got to really keep an eye on after-service charges and costs because you can quickly <laughs> lose that advantage that you made by by picking the car up for a good price to start with. Yeah, with with all those older German cars, uh, once they're out of warranty and once the kilometres creep up, you need to factor in that you're going to spend a decent chunk of change every year servicing and maintaining it.
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got another text here. Salma has a uh, 2019 Nissan Pathfinder SL with 92,000 kilometres. Uh, again, another popular one for this region. Yeah, I mean, people are calling in with a, with a desirable cars today. And I think, uh, you know, a 19 Pathfinder fits in exactly what we were saying last week. That delta between a new one, uh, you know, 2022 car versus one that's now like two, three, three years old isn't, isn't that much. And the SL is a great trim. With those kilometers, that will still be like 110, 115,000 dirhams. And when you, can, when you bear in mind you can get a new one for literally 15, 20K above that, um, this, is, this is where it, it starts to become interesting. Yeah, it will be. It, it certainly will be. Uh, now, we've got on the line now, we've got uh, Fernando. And uh, Fernando, you're looking at buying a Mitsubishi. Is that correct? Good morning. Yes, hi, good morning. Yes, I'm planning to buy a Mitsubishi ASX at the moment, and it has a mileage of 55,000, and it's 2017 model, and it's the first owner. Okay, so it's the AFX, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so you've, you've had a look at the car already by the sound of it? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, and, and, and are you looking to sell a car, or are you looking to, uh, to, to trade, perhaps? Yeah, actually, I have. I'm currently using Ford Focus 2014 model. I was wondering whether I should sell it and keep it, or keep it because I have a problem with my transmission. Okay, so Matthew, it's sorry, it's the ASX, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, it will be the ASX. Did yeah. you say it's a 2015 that is the one that you're looking to buy? Uh, it's 2017. Oh, 17. Yeah, I mean, um, it depends if it's GLX, what trim level it is, but I, I would imagine that car should be. Um, 57, 58,000 were those type of kilometers. Um, okay. But it, it does depend on the trim level if it's a higher trim level. But um, your focus, your Ford Focus that you've got, you said it has a gearbox issue. Drivable, yeah. like it's, it's, it's giving you problems or it's actually completely finished, the gearbox? No, it's drivable. There's small, small vibration, I feel sometimes. And yeah, and when I pass 100, uh, 100 kilometers per hour, the RPM goes to three. So, so you, mm. you're losing you're losing power when you when you put more load on the car. I mean, the vibrations yeah. could be caused by the gearbox mounts. They're rubber mounts that hold hold the gearbox uh, in place against the frame, the chassis of the car. Um, and, okay. and also, um, if you're losing power as you put more load on the car, it could also be yeah. oil pressure within the gearbox. So, most likely, the first thing I would do with that car is change yeah. the gearbox oil and um, change the gearbox mounts and see how the okay. car is after that. Because I, I think okay. it just sounds like it's not uh, being maintained properly. Um, a lot of people change engine oil regularly, but they don't yeah. change yeah. the gearbox oil enough. Um, and okay. that fundamentally builds up o over the time. But change the, en um, the gearbox mounts and the gearbox oil, and I think okay. that will most likely have a dramatic improvement on that problem. Yeah, All right, thank you. another one that could be just Matthew is uh, it might be um, uh, slipping clutches. If 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 the revs are going up as you as you uh, accelerate um, and and you're not getting that power, then the power is not being transferred through. So there may be uh, now it'll be an automatic or maybe it's a, it's a, if it's a CVT that that would answer that question as well. So there could be something there. Certainly change your order to kick off and get that you know tick that box off because it's uh, something you should you should uh, just just do anyway. So it's a very quick and easy fix. If it's still kicking on, then I'd be um, perhaps looking at maybe seeing if there's maybe there's a bit of clutch wear. 
Yeah, okay. if it's uh, over 100 mile an hour, it sounds like when the car's under a lot of load, you know, when you're pushing the, the limits of, of uh, the power. Um, but yeah, you sh when you, whenever you have these type of problems, if you change, say, the oil, you kind of need to do that anyway. We should be doing it. So it's you're not really losing out and it's a good experiment. And that will tell you the oil that comes out of that gearbox. You can speak to the mechanic who's changing the oil and that can tell you a lot about it. For example, if there's, if there's metal filings in that um, gearbox, then you, you could be into more sinister things. So definitely change the oil. And I think the vibration will be caused by the gearbox mounts for sure. All right. Hope that's Thank helped you, you Fernando. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Have, you guys. Brilliant. Have, have a great day. This is Motormania. Fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. This is how it works. We need the make, the model, the car, the year, the mileage, the colour, the whole lot. Send it to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. And uh, myself and valuation guru, head of pricing at Algo Driven, Matthew Davison, will help you. Now, later in the show, we're going to be talking about traffic. And apparently, Abu Dhabi is the capital with the least traffic congestion. We'll be revealing the most traffic congested cities a little later on. So I'd like to ask you out there, what is the longest time you sat in traffic and where was it? Uh, Matthew, what, what's, your, what's your situation with traffic? What was the, what's the biggest headache you can remember? Well, first of all, well done, Abu Dhabi. And I, you know, all the time I've lived here, I actually can't remember being stuck in traffic in Abu Dhabi. So I would say that's that's genuine. Mm. Um, for me, the two places I've been stuck the worst in traffic, L.A., Los Angeles and yep. Manila. There's a road in Manila called Edsa. If you're um, Filipino listening, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I was stuck four hours hardly moving. I've got the thumbs up. For, I've got before. the thumbs up from the production desk of Zena and Arnold. They're saying, "Yep, that's the road." <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure things will get a little bit better when they build the the metro in Manila. But um, that road in LA, yeah, I, I, those those shots you see of LA where it's all the the red tail lights. Yeah, I've, I've been in that before the, as well. That's the, the four zero one. That's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, my one I think is uh, is a massive traffic jam in the middle of uh, Istanbul. Um, trying to get from one oh, airport wow. to the other madly ridiculous um, but that's another story I made the flight just uh, taxi driver was incredible <laughs> anyway uh, we've got a text in Matthew and this is uh, from Rob Rob is saying hi guys I'm looking to sell a Porsche GTS 2014 so it's 928 uh, full Porsche service or I think it's 928 no no it's a, sorry it's Porsche GTS 2014 full Porsche service history and under Porsche warranties to November 2023 210,000 kilometres it's the V8 white fully loaded. So, uh, yeah, that'd be the, the KN, I guess. Um, well, no, you can get GTS format in, in various ones. Did he say if it's a, he didn't say it's a 911 because you get 911 GTS. You <laughs> no, get the, it, the, the it's the V8. The Cayman is a GTS. So it's a, it's, it's, it's the V8. So it'd be, uh, it'd be KN. If Rob, if, you, if you're listening, let us know if oh, it's KN or the Panamera. Sorry. If you said if you said a V8, yeah, it can only be KN or Panamera. Um, let, let's say it's a KN because that's the more popular uh, GTS. And in 2014, there was um, Porsche bought a huge amount of cars over to do lease deals. Mm. They were doing this amazing lease deal in 2014 on KN GTS. So I know that's probably what it is. Um, I would say with those kilometers around 115, 120, 120,000 is probably the max what that car will sell for right now. But yeah, it's a nice trim, nice car, but one of those cars that we talked about earlier that can start to get a bit expensive if you if you don't uh, stay on top of the maintenance. Yeah, because there was a period back then when uh, car companies were doing a, a incredible deals with real estate 
companies, weren't they? So you buy a property and you get a, a luxury vehicle at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure that was one of them. I remember. I mean, there's a. <laughs> I'm showing my time here. Though I remember, I think it was, I think it was, uh, 2012 or 13. Sharaf DG had got this crazy TV in, like this 105 inch, like um, LED TV. But at the time, that was like, you know, the first in the world, and it was crazy. The TV was like 400,000 dirhams, yeah. and you got a Mercedes GLK <laughs> if you bought the TV, not the other way around. You actually got. Uh, a Mercedes GLK if you bought the TV and that that always put a smile on my face uh, that promotion crazy yeah buy there, a TV get a car there was there was a real estate business here and you could get a you could, if you bought the property you got a green Range Rover Sport and for a while there was a whole lot of green Range Rover Sports on the on the uh, on the market so um, yeah lots <laughs> lo- we know we, we know where you live <laughs> exactly lots of stuff going on we've got another text through and this time it's for a uh, Kia Sportage 2015 um, 145,000 kilometers 2.4 liter uh, looking for an idea on evaluation on this one Oh, these are these are hot tickets at the moment. The Sportage people always chasing them, and particularly when you get to that level, like I said at the top of the show, the ones that are nearer than newer, sort of nineteen uh, twenties. Mm. There's not a huge difference between buying a new one, um, but the fifteens is the sweet spot. And I think if it's if it's like a nice trim, like an LX, you'd be looking around early forties, say forty two to forty five for that car, still even being a fifteen. They've held their value so well. Yeah, yeah, they, they do though, don't they? They really hold their value, uh, the, the Sportage, and uh, it's just one of those cars that just keeps popping up on the market. Uh, another text message here that's just popped through and uh, a very short message. Nissan Pathfinder Red 2013, 154,000 kilometres and looking for valuation. Yeah, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, that's not a huge amount of uh, kilometers for a Nissan and certainly not for a 2013. Um, you know, I'd, I'd happily take that car and I think, um, you know, it'll, it'll run double that kilometers without even breaking into a sweat. I mean, if it's a, a nice trim, like the, um, the SV, it's going to be a lot more, but if the, typically their their SEs here, they bought a lot of them in and with those kilometers, that'll be mid thirties, like 35,000. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you'd like a uh, valuation, the number is 04871 and we can have a chat about why you're selling it or perhaps why you're looking for to, to buy a car uh, or even as we had earlier on, uh, some, some car advice around uh, some issues with transmissions or gearbox problems. I'm sure between the Brains Trust of Matthew and I, we can sort out your problems. But in the meantime, another text message. The texts are flowing through this morning, Matthew, and this is from Raj and it's a 2020 Nissan Sunny SV. 63,000 kilometers and it's white. Yeah, I mean, the, the SVs and the SLs are the top trims for the funny, uh, for the sunny. What did you say the, the year was, 2016? Uh, 20, 2020. Oh, again, uh, one that's going to be not a million miles away from uh, new car money at the moment because it's mm. not going to be much flying around. But it, with, with those kilometers and uh, bearing in mind that it is the SV, I think you'll be knocking on the door of late late thirties, uh, early forties. Like I would say, the range thirty nine to forty one. Okay, okay, that's that's not too bad. Yeah, as you say, he bought it in the sweet spot of twenty twenty, so uh, he might walk away with a bit of cash in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you are selling 
if you are selling it, the market is cooling off a little bit. I mean, yeah. everything's cooling off, whether it's, uh, you know, stocks, property, everything. You, you certainly feel it in the air. There's, there's, I think the peak, the peak in everything was probably February, maybe just slightly into March this year. But, you know, car, cars will cool off for a while. But as I said uh, last week, I think by the time we get to 2024, um, uh, you're still going to be stuck with that fundamental issue that we didn't sell any used cars. Sorry, we didn't sell any new cars in 2020 and hardly any in 21. So we're going to have that hole in used cars in 24. So even if you mm. buy um, new right now, I don't think if you if you look to sell it in two to three years, you'll be fine. You won't lose that much money. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now we go to the lines now. We've got uh, Mustafa on the line. Good morning, Mustafa. You have a Mercedes, I believe, ML350. Is that correct? Yes. So um, tell us a little bit about it. You've got uh, what's what's the year, it's the mileage? A, it's a ML350, uh, 2013 make, mm-hmm. uh, 146,000 kilometres driven. It's a black colour uh, with a beige interior. Okay. And uh, you're looking to, to sell or just get, get a valuation to see what it's worth? Get a valuation and then decide if I would need to keep it or sell yeah. it. For sure, Matthew. The ML 350s. Uh, what do you think about these? Yeah, that's the V6, the 3.5 V6. They obviously do the the, the bigger V8 engine. That car's, I would say, around sixty-five to seventy thousand in the market right now, assuming that it's uh, it's in fair condition for the age and the kilometres. Um, but you know, there, there will start to be um, more and more of those cars creeping on the market because, just like you, it's it's a good time to look at exiting that car. You know, nine-year-old car uh, start, starts to get a little bit um, more expensive to maintain. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to be more aggressive, closer to 65. But if you've got a bit more time, maybe put it online for 69. 69, is it? But is it a good time to sell the car or just keep it? Well, it, it, it depends what you want to do. The, the question is, is, if you're going out into the market to buy something else, for around that kind of money. When you think about it logically, what, whatever the market's doing, if the market's really bad or if the market's really good, if you're changing for something else, it doesn't really affect you too much because you're buying into the same market. If you were selling this to not to not have a car at all um, or um, you had different circumstances, then that, that's, that's different. You've probably missed the peak time, absolute peak t- time to sell, which was a couple of months ago. But cars are still selling. I think the trick now is to get in before the summer holidays because a lot of people that they, they have their time away and the car market does cool off that July, August, September time. So if you act fast, you, yes, you can still move it in the market right now. Else, maybe if you want to breathe a little bit, uh, wait till people come back from the summer and, and advertise it kind of mid-September time. I hope that uh, that helps you out, Mustafa, with, uh, with, with some ideas. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Great. Thank you very much. Fix it. Or flip it. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. We need the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send it to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. We're going to do right now with Paxwell and get on the line and have a chat. Good morning, Paxwell. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Very good. Thanks. Very good. I believe you have a Ford Explorer that you're looking for some ideas on. Yeah, it's a Ford Explorer 2017 model, gold colour, 3.6, mid-option, looking to sell it. Okay, Matthew, 2017 XLT, 3.6 litre, uh, 70,000 kilometres, not too many. The uh, XLT sits above the base, then you've got the Limited and the Sports, so it's like a mid-level trim. That car, 
with those kilometers would be late 80s at the moment. I would put it online for 88, 89, something like that. Okay. Great, Paxwell. Thanks very much. And we're going now straight to Neil, who's on the line. Neil, good morning. You have uh, another Mercedes, I believe, but this time it's the uh, the GLC. Is that right? Yeah, morning, Damien. Morning, Matthew. Um, yeah, that's right. It's a 2016 model, black in colour, uh, just tipped 140,000 kilometres. It's got the nice um, half leather, half cloth interior, like a dark brown black. And I guess my question is, it's at 140. Um, where's the sweet spot for selling these Mercedes? Because I'm, I'm conscious of, uh, you know, the, the desirability of a, a car with this mileage versus something when it starts hitting towards the 200. What do you think, Matthew? Sorry, sorry, morning. Uh, what was the year? I didn't catch the year, just GLC. 2016, it's the, uh, it's the GLC Formatic. Uh, okay, okay, not the coupe, I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of your question on kilometres, yeah, we talk about this kind of based on regions. The German cars uh, are perceived as, as uh, not as good value when the kilometres creep up versus the Japanese models. Um, I would say around now is a sweet spot for you to sell, definitely, because you're at that point now where the kilometers are creeping up, but also the age is creeping up. It's a six-year-old car, certainly won't have a warranty anymore. Uh, and I think that's going um, to gonna be the deciding factor for you. I wouldn't hang on to this car for much, much longer, um, just because, when you, as I say, when you look at your kilometers now, uh, much over 150, that's going to start, you know, raising some eyebrows. Uh, in terms of value, I think the value's around 105 to 110. I'd probably put the car online for 109. Um, okay. That that would be that would be where it's at. And and any good offer above 100, I would certainly look at taking. Yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, it, it does. I don't know how much value these things have, but it's got an aftermarket um, warranty and service package um, with it. I bought it with it. I don't know how much value the after, uh, you know, the non-dealer service packages have. Do they do they hold value when you're selling them? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it's a great question. And I think from a service package perspective, that's real value because you're effectively buying servicing up front. So that certainly does have a value. The warranty it completely depends there's so many aftermarket warranty companies and they have like cheeky small print for example like you know you can only have five thousand dirhams maximum per claim or ten thousand per claim etc and you can only make certain claims and you have to service it within these intervals at their recommended garages so there's lots of lots of small print in there but it still does add value i think the service package probably adds more value but in terms of the price um uh, and what we're talked about, I wouldn't still price it much more, but I would get those into your headline and you're going to have some competition. You're going to have other cars for sale around the same mileage, around the same price. And I think that will be the difference between the people picking up the phone to call you versus the other ones. Good stuff. Thank you, Matthew. That's good to hear. Brilliant. I hope that uh, helps you out, Neil. It does. Thanks, Damien. Good morning. Go uh, good. Well, well done, and uh, and good luck with the rest of that. Now, um, uh, don't forget if you're looking to uh, to buy a car, which is the place you can go to, use car deals that you can trust. And uh, we're going straight now to uh, uh, to Asif. No, we've got. Hang on. Yes, we uh, we got Asif on the line. Yes. Good morning, guys. Yes. Good morning, Asif. Uh, tell us about uh, your vehicle. What what have you got? Yes, I've got a 2012. Uh uh, 
uh, Volkswagen Tiguan. Uh, it's blue in color. It has clocked 150,000 kilometers. And right now, the engine is uh, burning some oil. You know, after every uh, three, 4,000 kilometers, I have to top up. So I'm looking forward to sell this off. I just wanted to understand how much should I look at. Okay, Matthew, the, the Tiguan. Yeah, I mean, um, small less UV that's always been very desirable here. Um, you're burning oil through the gasket for sure. Um, that's where you're losing that oil. You, you've, it, most likely the, the top gasket um, has failed, um, and that's where you'll be losing oil. Uh, is your performance down? Do you notice that it's not as powerful as it was? Yes, absolutely. The performance is certainly a little down. Yeah, look, you're, you're in a dilemma here because, you know, you, it's going to be difficult to sell that car because somebody's going to smell that oil and and, uh, and certainly you're going to have that discussion. I would certainly do my, my usual advice, get free quotes, but go and get free quotes um, for, for fixing that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to put my neck on the block and say I'm pretty much going to guarantee it's a gasket on those Tiguans because I know the cars quite well. Um, you know, spend the money to fix that because you'll you'll lose way more by by trying to sell it as is. Um, if you fixed it, I, I would say the value, um, if it's SEL spec, um, would be around mid mid twenties, twenty five, twenty six. Um, if it's SE, which is more basic, you can drop about three thousand off that. Um, but yeah, I would really recommend you you sort that um, oil leak out because you know. People are going to smell it. They're going to feel it's underpowered, and, and you're going to be just wasting your time and pretty much their time as well. Right, right. Oh, that's that's that sounds good. Uh, I think that's what I was also contemplating whether I should fix it or I should sell it off. Uh, I had a plan to salvage this uh, completely to Copart or you know to some other company, but. Yeah, one could. But, but, but why, why do that? I mean, you, you, that, that car, as it is, you'll get silly offers like 8000 10000 or something for that. They'll just be, it'll be ridiculous what you get offered for that because they'll use that and scare you with it. Oh, you know, the engine's finished and all these stories. I mean, I'd certainly go and go to some garages and, and get a quote to, to fix it first and make your decision because you, you're, in a strong, you're in a strong position then because let's say you fix it and you think, you know what? With a quote that Matthew said, you know, that mid-20s, I'm happier keeping the car because I'm not sure what I would get for the same money. And then you've got the option to continue selling it. Or if you're happy to get that type of money and sell it, then you, you're going to get the maximum value for that car. But, you know, rocking up and taking the, the what seems to be the easy option and, and, and trading it to somebody as it is, you, you're going to throw away 15000 And uh, I don't care how much money anybody's got, 15000 is a lot. That is indeed a lot, yeah. Thanks a lot. That's really appreciated. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank, thank you so much. All the best with that, Asif. And uh, going now to another Volkswagen. This time, it's uh, it's Ben on the line. Good morning, Ben. But you have a, a, a VW Golf, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Good morning, guys. Good morning. So it's a 2014. Um, and uh, what, what are your intentions? Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, the thing is, the uh, infamous uh, DSG has given me quite uh, some problems recently. Uh, you know the the infamous mm. gearbox with the uh, that was yes uh, the whole Volkswagen group the Volkswagen Audi Seat uh, Skoda all of them they had the the DSG so uh, I, I tried to fix it uh, with the second garage and then uh, now it's fine uh, now I'm trying to to sell it but I just want to 
your advice uh, in terms of the the pricing strategy? Yeah, what do you think, Matthew? That having a DSG is is that a, a a help or a hindrance if you're advertising a Volkswagen? It's a hindrance to to super educated people, but I mean, I mean, it, it, when it performs, it's actually a, a, a good gearbox. It's just that they, they do have problems. What mm. is the trim level? Is it is it um, GTI SEL? Uh, what, what is no no just the the the, the basic uh, the classic uh, Golf. The, I think SE maybe. Okay, the the SE. Okay, probably got the one point four uh, TSI engine. Yep. I, I I know the car. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look. It, you know, you're the same as the previous caller where you've got an issue and it's about, you know, how much of an issue is it? Is, is it small enough that you can, you know, that the person buying the car can live with it or, or do you need to look at rectifying it? The problem that you've got is, you know, even, um, you know, basic gearbox reconditioning runs into several thousands of dirhams. So that's the that's the yeah. issue that you, you face. I mean, the, the value of that car being a 2014 with, with those kilometers, which are very low, for a 2014, you know, 89,000. Yeah. I would say the car is still um, around 30 to 32,000, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's considering that the gearbox is fine. Um, you just need to factor yep. in, um, do you fix it, or or if the problem's not that severe, but the, the person buying it's gonna notice it, how much of a discount you give off that price. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm considering the same price range. Actually, you, you've just got it bullseye. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of uh, communicating with people for 33, but yeah. uh, I think I can I can I can uh, settle for for 30 or or even uh, yeah, 29, 29 and a half. That would be yeah. I mean, if I okay if I was in your position, any strong offer 28, 29, 30, I'd be considering based on what you've said this morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I'm just happy that the kilometers are are very low, and that that helps. But the thing is, the uh, it hasn't much options. You know, mm. no sunroof, no uh, I don't know what they call that. The screen in the middle, the blah blah blah. The aluminum wheels, they're uh, they're very basic. It's just like a, like a, a daily commute small car. There's nothing fancy, nothing sporty, or or in terms of performance. So that's, yeah, that's but when, when when you have when yeah. you have a basic when you have a base car, okay, you need to turn things. Yeah, you need to. Be, this is where you need to switch your sales skills on, because whenever I've had a car without the sunroof here, I I sell it yeah. as a feature. I say, look, you don't want to have a sunroof in, in Dubai, uh-huh. letting in all the heat. <laughs> it cooks your head. You know, you've got you've got to yeah. you've got to look at stuff and look for the positives in it. You know, I, I meet a lot of people and they go, well, you know, the car's not got a sunroof, so I, I'm going to struggle to sell it. Look at things in the car exactly. and try and turn them into mm. positives. That's what you always need to do. Brilliant. I hope that uh, right. that, that gives you some advice, uh, Ben. All the best with all the best with that one. Um, now, Mansu, I've got you on the line. I'm going to hold you there because we're going to cut to uh, to a very quick message because you have a car that I think might actually even stump Matthew, and I'm really looking forward to hear this one. You stick around. This is Motormania. We'll be back straight after this. Fix it or flip it. So tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. We're going to go straight now to uh, to Mansour. Uh, Mansour, thank you for holding on. I wanted to hang on to you till after the break because you've got something quite special that you're looking to uh, to get a value on. Tell us more about it. It's uh, good morning. Good morning. And that's a uh, Ford uh, Thunderbird 1960. Uh, um, it's a classic car. I imported from state maybe eight years ago. Rarely use it. 
during the winter. Everything in working condition with AC, with the uh, aftermarket AC, of course. Just uh, change the compressor, locally air. It has a electric window, and it's uh, you know the Thunderbird uh, 1960s uh, full of uh, uh, nice shape. <laughs> and it's a lot of chrome. Of course, of course, it is. Yeah, excellent, excellent, shiny condition. <laughs> Fantastic, Matthew. A 1960 T-Bird. What do you think? And it's got it's got AC. How uh, crucially and power windows. Yes, of course. Yeah, what a car. I mean, I, I just love those circular red taillights on this this car. You the the old classic movies when they were following this car. Just it's such an iconic car. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about plus classic cars, and it's very subjective because you've got lots of factors in. I mean. On the phone right now, we have no idea of the exact condition. I mean, you, you've got ranging from good to, to show condition, what we call concourse condition. Um, uh, and it's also down to serial numbers and the history of the car and how much documentation come with it. There's so many factors in there. I mean, I, I can only tell you what I know about the market over the last few years with these cars. And I've seen them sell anything between 200 and 280,000 dirhams. Um, you know, not many of them come up here, um, but it's as I said, it's it's so subjective. I mean, what if you did sell it? What was in your mind? What would you think you'd let it go for? Well, I, I, I never thought about the value, but just to mention about the history of the car, I find when I bought it from state, I, I, I find the library in the back of the car with even the original uh, purchase bill of the uh, vehicle in 1960, all the history documents, whatever was done during the all this old years. Is there in the, in the car? Uh, even even I, I had the original bill put in a frame just as a unique uh, uh, sixty years old uh, document. Yeah, and this is what people want. You know, when you look at uh, if you watch any programs um, about people buying classic cars and everything, they want more than the car itself. They they want to know the story. They want to know literally everything about it. You know. The, those original uh, plates, the vehicle identification plates that used to come separate to not just being stamped on the car, but actually used to come in a, in a beautiful booklet. Um, all of that history, they want to know where the car's been and what it's done. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've got something that would be difficult to let go, would be difficult to sell. Um, you know, I, I imagine you would, you would be struggling to, to wave goodbye to that car yourself. Indeed, I I, yeah. I I didn't have any intention to sell it. I just thought to have a uh, to share the the information of the car and uh, hear your your advice on this car. It's a unique uh, piece of art to be kept for for the next generation. Well, when when you yeah. do, if ever you do decide to sell it, Mansoor, give us a call. Um, I know a few people who'd be very very interested in that one. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Thank you. Thank- Thank you very much. All, all the best with that one. Um, and we're now going straight to uh, to Sunil. Good morning, Sunil. You've got a, a, a question about buying yeah. an SUV. Yeah, good morning, guys. Morning. Um, yes, I, I'm, I'm looking for an SUV, uh, and I'm, I'm a bit confused. I sold my petrol safari recently um, because of two, three reasons. Uh, uh, I, I, I drive a lot. I drive about 30 to 35K a year. Uh, but the petrol was not giving me fuel economy of more than 4.8 or 4.9, to be mm. honest. Um, uh, we, we all know the petrol is, uh, the, the safari is in that range. Um, and it was a pretty basic trim for what I was paying to the bank. Yeah. Um, uh, so would the, the, the big Nissan, um, the, the bigger one, the 5.3 liter, 
Uh, would that be better in fuel economy? Uh, I mean, not the best, but would that be better or the Tahoe would be better in fuel economy? Um, well, it depends on, on how old the Safari is. Obviously, the, the, the new V8s are much more fuel efficient than the, even the previous, than the, than the earlier generation six cylinders. Uh, but the new Tahoe is, is, um, is a completely different vehicle to the previous one. And it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in that one. Um, whole new rear suspension on it as well, so a lot more articulation. But in terms of fuel economy, it, has, it does have these cylinder displacements. So, so basically, yeah. when you're cruising, it cuts to a four-cylinder. And uh, and then then it comes yep. comes back into an eight cylinder. So you are getting um, remarkably good fuel economy out of the Tahoe. Um, I, I'd I'd try them both and see how they go. But I think it's safe to say you'd probably get better fuel economy out of those than you were out of your previous uh, six cylinder. What, what what's your experience, Matthew? They're constantly refining the engines now, and I think. You know, what you mentioned about um, when, when the car's not under load, when you're cruising or you lift off the accelerator, it cuts off the engines. I mean, uh, it cuts off the cylinders. And I think this this is where you've, you've got to measure fuel economy over a, a period of time, not just, you know, the, the, the immediate drive that you take. You know, look at what you're getting across the month, etc. But, you know, these big cars need big engines. I'm not a big fan of the smaller engines uh, in, in these bigger SUVs, they they just feel underpowered. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think that's where the where the, the cruising comes in with with the with the displacement on demand, the, the cylinder de- deactivation. You've got the power to get the car rolling, and then once you get on the motorway, then it cuts back to four cylinders. You'll find you'll get remarkably good fuel consumption. I, I seriously, I, I would go down and uh, and and take a, a Tahoe for a quick run. Sure. And if I if I need to if I would consider a twenty 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 one or twenty or twenty nineteen Tahoe, which would be the the best of the years in, in the older ones? In in terms of patrol, in terms of Tahoe, uh, I mean Tahoe. You 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 want to get the, the the better value? I think you need to go back to a seventeen or an eighteen. Yeah. Once you get towards a nineteen and twenties, the delta between that and a new one just is isn't isn't worthwhile. Uh, I, I think you need to be at 17 at, at best 18 or you should be looking at a new one right now that's just the, the way of the market there we go so i okay. uh, hope that provides you with uh, the, some advice the, if you've got you. any advice just text it through to us and we, we can get back to you straight away um and very quickly we're just going to go to uh, to ration ration you have a bmw x5 uh, it's brand new i bought it in 2014 all the time i uh, drove it is black with the brown interior very well maintained, but it's out of warranty now. So I want to see that we are trying to change it to buy a, a Porsche. Um, so do you think that um, and is less than 90000 because I don't drive it much. So do you think that shall I sell it or shall I keep it? Well, what do you think well, about if I want to sell, what will be the price? Yeah, Matthew, there you go. 90,000 kilometer X5 2014. Well, just under Very 90, quickly, is, is it the V6 or the V8? So is it like the 35i, the 50i? Because that makes a big difference. V6. Uh, okay, the V6. Fine. I mean, yeah. great kilometers. That's by far your best-selling feature. And you should actually look at moving it on now because it hasn't passed 100. Great selling feature. My, my gut feeling with those kilometers is it's around 100 to 110,000 simply because those kilometers oh. are so low. Um, but... Oh. Yeah, it's yes. a good time to sell to answer your question. Thank Brilliant. you so much. I, I hope, that, hope that helps you, uh, Ration, and all the best with that one. I'm going to go to Patty. Patty, you've got a Toyota MR2 1989 
the Japanese spec. Tell us a little bit about that. Hi. Yeah, I have a, it's a 1989 Mark I MR2 uh, right-hand drive, and it's 1.6 supercharged. Uh, there is 83,000 on the clock. Okay, okay. And uh, this is a Japanese import. Uh, it's right-hand drive, Japanese you say? Import. Yeah. So what, what do you think, uh, uh, Matthew, very quickly? Su- super rare car, um, sort of flashbacks of, of, of my youth for sure. Um, I mean, difficult, difficult to price in this market, particularly, again, so many factors that, that uh, come in. But it, I mean, if people are looking for them, I think they'd pay probably anything between 40 and 50,000 right now for that car. But that's, that, you know, that's assuming that it, it, it's in great condition, the history is there and everything else. Um, because it's just a rare car and rare to see it pop up actually here. I, yeah, I'm, very I'm pretty rare. sure there's, there's, there's not many here. Probably you can count them on your hand how many uh, MR2, late 80s MR2s are here. Um, but if someone's chasing one and it's in great condition, I think somewhere between that kind of 40 and, and, and 50,000. Okay. I hope, I hope that helps, Patty. Okay, very quickly, Matthew, because time is running against us. We've got 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready for this one? Always ready, Damien. Come on. Okay, here we go. Let's go. It's uh, 2014 Pajero, 91,000 kilometres for all options. Oh, early 40s, 42. Okay, Mercedes E300 Black, 11,500 kilometres. It's a 2013. Uh, getting on now, but they're still mid-60s. Okay, no year on this one. It's a Porsche Boxster Silver, 55,000 kilometres. Uh, so what should we say? It's six years old? Yeah, roughly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, probably about 160, 160,000. Okay, a 2018 Jeep Lorado. It's still under warranty, 60,000 kilometres. Uh, you're looking at about 125,000, 130. Okay, a 2019 Mazda CX-3 Black GTX, 55,000 kilometres. Uh, about the same value, 55,000. Okay, 2018 Chevrolet Impala LTZ is blue, 60,000 kilometres. Ooh, mid to late 60s, 65 to 68. Okay, a 2016 Mitsubishi Lancer EX White, 98,000 kilometres. Oh, 16 would be mid 30s, 35. Oh, there you go. So there's uh, there's seven for you, Matthew. Not bad at all. Nice, nice mix of cars. Brilliant. Well, look, I'll let you run. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and uh, and we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the weekend of sport, particularly the F one. Absolutely, it's going to be going to be a big one. Thank you, uh, Matthew Davison from Algo Driven. And uh, here's what's uh, coming up. Um, we're going to be talking about how many times can you drive an electric vehicle from Dubai to Abu Dhabi and back without recharging, and um, and we're also comparing battery life with uh, different electric vehicles. Um, with Salman Hussain, CEO and co-founder of Fuse. Here's what we've been uh, driving this week also. Uh, we've ha- we've got a Ram Limited pickup in the fleet that I believe that, uh, no, because of course, I should forget, I forgot. Joining me in the studio, Noel Ebden and Imtashant Giado. So good morning, gentlemen. Hello, Hang hello. Ken. So uh, Noel's been driving the Ram, uh, the, uh, Ram Limited uh, pickup and uh, I've been driving the BMW M3 and also the Jeep Wrangler Sahara. And uh, Imtashant, what have you been in lately? I've been something a bit more vintage, actually. I've been driving in 1994 Porsche 911 3.6 Turbo. Basically oh, the wow. same one okay. as the bad boys car, essentially. Ooh, that's oh, that's cool. Oh, okay. We need to talk about that later on. Oh, that's no, for I'm sure. Not jealous. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, we've got other issues going on. Abu Dhabi, can you believe? Actually, I can believe it. Has topped the list of capital cities with the least traffic congestion. Um, 
can you guys guess what the worst traffic congestion city in the world would be? Shanghai. Ooh, okay. That's actually a good one. Mm. Were you with Having me? We so, drove, we drove yeah. through Shanghai? We yeah. did, yeah. And we sat in... Five o'clock rush absolutely hour. Absolutely awful traffic, yeah. Yeah, um, in, a, in, a, in a not cheap car. It was a Bentley too, wasn't it? It was. My yes. goodness. Yeah. I don't know how we got away alive with that one. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, I want, to hear about, I want to hear also from you about what was the, the longest time that you sat in traffic and where was it? Uh, text us to 4001 or what, WhatsApp us on 04... 8715500 and uh, as I said we've got Noel Ebden and Nip Shanjado uh, from Motoring Middle East in the studio and uh, yeah we're just asking about this one Ebden Shan what, what, what do you think is the worst traffic that you've ever sat in? Uh, I can tell you it was from Jebel Ali to Dera and it was about 2006 <laughs> Because before they'd obviously finished all the construction and turned the Al-Kale Road into the wonderful free-flowing interchange it is now. So essentially, I left Jablali at 4 o'clock and I arrived in Dera about 11 o'clock. Yeah. Oh, I, I, a, I did actually mention yeah. on the top of the program that if you're in Dubai pre-2006, this would be up there. Mm. I remember it took me an hour. It used to take me an hour and a half to get from Mankul to Media City. Um, an hour of that was to get to the Trade Centre roundabout. Mm. And the rest was just a breeze down Shakes Road. Right? It's amazing how things have come forward so quickly, haven't it? It's an amazing vision to see the roads come as far as they have. Absolutely, Incredible, because yeah. as you say, um, uh, Alcala Road was in there. The flyovers that replaced those roundabouts Round of death. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> that you'd go out there. Um, horrendous stuff. So this actually came from an annual survey from TomTom Tom Traffic mm. Index for 2021. And it's based on a survey of 416 cities in 57 countries. By, um, by this global navigation services company. The, now, the ranking takes into account a combination of criteria, including the rate of traffic congestion at intersections and streets at various times during the day, including during peak hour. Um, it's the Abu Dhabi was the least congested capital, but um, it's not the least congested city. So that was uh, Abu Dhabi was ranked 389 out of 416. That's pretty uh, good. Yeah, and, and and again, it goes back to the thing where I remember driving through Abu Dhabi when they were still building the road mm. networks, and compared to now, it's fantastic. But it was down that Cornish side was a bit of a nightmare mm. going back before the Sadiat Road came in yeah, and that sort of exactly. thing. No mention of Sharjah, <laughs> which is still quite congested this day, but they have done an incredible job once again of moving along the traffic into different places and basically getting rid of all the old roundabouts and stuff. So Sharjah's come a long way as well, but Sharjah in the early 2000s was quite tricky to get in and out of. Absolutely. I, I, I remember, and I said before if the, earlier on the program, um, I, I did an airport run from one airport to the other in Istanbul um, when we had to change flights and they didn't tell us the flight was leaving from the other airport. And mm. uh, getting a taxi driver to run through uh, the, the the rush hour madness of Istanbul was, was, was quite insane. And hats off to this day to the taxi driver on... on uh, how he miss your flight. To, well, he found curbs that people weren't walking walking on. Put it that way. And well, <laughs> I, I actually went through. I went through rush hour in Istanbul on a scooter, and I'm still alive to this day, which is actually quite surprising. So uh, I don't know how we how we got through that, but we survived. Yeah, we've got uh, Jack's text texted, and he said the worst traffic was in Bogota, Colombia. Mm. South America has been my first guess. Actually, like Sao Paulo, places like that, where it's just insane. Mm. Yeah, yeah, or, um, or maybe LA. LA's pretty LA, well, Matthew yeah. Davidson said that earlier on, the uh, LA, the, the 401, yeah, the great absolutely. 401, that's just a sea of red, red tail lights. these um, numbers, like we're supposed to know what they mean. Like I have American <laughs> friends in LA who are like, oh, I'm on the 405, I'm heading down the 5 to the 10, I'm making these numbers up, but I think they're real. And but I don't know what that means. The thing is, they've got <laughs> such great names too. Where the first time I went to LA, they're going, oh, the 401. 
But it's also the Ventura Highway. Yeah. Mm. Which is which is obviously which is much better, yeah. yeah. Why don't they you say know? that? Um, so you know, they've written songs about these roads and yet they refer to them by name, uh, by number. Uh, so the worst number, the worst city was actually in this ranked number four hundred and sixteen out of four hundred and sixteen airs, and we win for this being at least in this part of the world. It's Mecca. Ah. Right, there you go. And Saudi, so wow. uh, that's the one. Um, mm. Dubai was somewhere in the middle. We were ranked at number 244. And according to the index, it had a 20% congestion level. And uh, actually, I've just been corrected. I said it was the most – Mecca was the least congested. Oh, at least congested. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. Okay. So For a second, con- I was a little confused there. <laughs> congratulations. I've not <laughs> yeah. been there, so um, uh, but, but that is uh, fantastic. Dubai, yeah, uh, 20% congestion level. level. Eighteen percent of which is on Hesse Street. <laughs> but anyway, the other eighty yeah. percent is trying to get to Dubai Mall tonight. <laughs> Absolutely, and again, Hesse Street was was like a driveway. At it, one was, point. Yeah. it was. It was the quick way to get out That's until right. they put the flyovers in over Um mm. and then it became the nightmare. Mm. Uh, motorists in Dubai apparently lost forty six hours of their time in last year sitting in traffic. Imagine how many books you could have written, how many screenplays, what you could have done with your life in those forty six hours. Well, this is why I've turned. I've, I've, I've languages. I, I, I like to turn a negative into a positive as much as possible. And when I'm not driving a car, I'm quite okay to sit in the back of an Uber mm. or a Kareem or anyone's rideshare mm. and do my work. If you're going to spend, uh, if, if you're going to spend 46 hours doing nothing in, in a car, you might as well make it. Not productive. all at once, admittedly. Mm. <laughs> yes, but true. Do you not get car sick looking at a screen? Because I can't no. sit in the back of a car and look at screens. Depends on what the car's doing. One of the things I could never be is a is a, a co-driver in a rally car. That makes me sick because yeah. you're, you're staring at notes, looking at the ground, and uh, in a in a rideshare, that's okay. But boy, goodness, how yeah, those guys right, do it! Yeah, absolutely. Pod, um, podcast is the answer. Listen to podcasts while doing learn, a rally. Le- yeah, learn something. Yeah, whilst rallying, there you go. That's a, okay, that's so, a brilliant idea. <laughs> so the top five most congested cities yep. in 2021. Uh, two we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. and um, one was the one that I mentioned earlier that I was involved with. Istanbul, 142 hours lost per year, 62% congestion Ooh. level. That is, the, that is, in fact, the number one. Um, Mumbai came in at number five, 121 hours. That doesn't surprise 53%. Me, uh, Jack's on the money there. Bogota, 126 hours. Somebody's been fast with Google. 55%. Mm. That was the fourth. Uh, then we've got Kiev. Uh, it was 128 hours and 56%. Yeah. Moscow, 140 hours and 61%. Then, of course, as you said, top of that list is the one that I managed to get stuck in while trying to chase an aircraft and a flight was Istanbul. Yeah. Mostly caused by the bridge, to be fair. Uh, a, a yes. It. Yeah. That bridge yeah. really does yeah. cause massive problems. So but, uh, that's the problem when you live on a, in a country that's split in half by a very large <laughs> bit of water. <laughs> <laughs> So let us know, text in 4001, um, what was the longest time that you sat in traffic and where was it? And if you've been in this town for long enough, you would have seen the massive change in traffic. And as you say, Nishan, it has improved out of sight in the last 15 to Absolutely. 20 years yeah, here, yeah, hasn't it? It has. One of the things you notice with the road network here, which helps ease things massively, as long as you know where you're going, um, is that they're all on and off ramps. There's, there's very few traffic lights. 
Yes. Yeah. True. So once you know the way, once you know the right exit ramp, mm. you can swing from one end of town to the other without seeing a traffic light. Which, compared to where I come from in Sydney, is just traffic light. It's just awful. Mm. <laughs> Let me draw attention to an unsung hero, which is Alain, because Alain has not that much in the way of signs, and is almost entirely roundabouts, and yet you can zip across Alain. Alain is an incredible testament to the power of the roundabout, because it is pretty congested, but traffic never stops. Yeah. Because everybody yeah. in Alain knows what they're doing. Unfortunately, if you're from out of Alain, you're not entirely sure what you're doing, and you mess it up for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, you become the problem. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We're going to discuss more of this, and we're also going to be speaking to uh, Thomas Edelman, Managing Director of Road Safety. UAE, um, who spoke to us earlier in the week. Yes, Motor Mania with you through until midday, and I'm joined in the studio with uh, motoring journalist Noel Ebden and Imtha Shanjada. We are talking about uh, uh, road safety, and the majority of uh, uh, traffic accidents in the UAE last year were caused due to sudden swerving, failing to maintain a safe distance, and distracted driving. Now, according to the Ministry of Interior's latest figures, there were a total of 3,488 accidents on our roads last year that led to... 381 deaths and injured over 2,600 others. Now, Thomas Edelman, the Managing Director of Road Safety UAE, was on the agenda on on Wednesday, and he said that just five forms of misbehaviour accounted for more than 60% of crashes last year. It's just five things that account for more than 60% of all accidents. Number one is lane swerving. So people changing the, 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 the lane suddenly without indicating, just leaving the lane, bumping into others, uh, cutting across multiple lanes, clearly avoidable. The second one, avoidable as the first one is, is tailgating. So people are just driving too close to the vehicle in front. Yeah, so we see about 14% of all accidents caused by the misbehavior of tailgating. Point number three is then being distracted. You see a lot, a lot of people on the phones doing whatever they are doing on the phones, which is not only breaking the law, but it's also resulting in clearly avoidable accidents. So 13% of all accidents are going to the account of uh, motorists being distracted. And then you also talked about that number four is about entering a street without checking it if it's clear. Super avoidable also. We look left, we look right, and only if there's no other vehicle, we're going we're gonna to pull out into traffic. So just below 10% of all accidents are caused by this misbehavior of entering a road before checking if it's actually clear. And then number five on the list, um, it's called neglect and inattention. Yeah, so we are just uh, all over with our thoughts. We're just not paying attention what's what's happening. And this is uh, the number five on the list with uh, about 9% of all accidents caused by this form of misbehavior. Yeah, I don't think there's any real surprises in uh, in, in that one. Well, I think we've seen all exa- examples of, of that on the road over uh, over the years. Um, so that was Thomas Edelman uh, giving his advice earlier this week on uh, the major causes of all that. Uh, so let's cut now to what we've been uh, getting around in in the in the last couple of days. I'll tell you, I've been top and tail, totally different vehicles. I drove the Jeep Wrangler Sahara, mm-hmm. and then I drove the BMW M3 Competition. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty different. <laughs> so quite different. <laughs> um, the uh, the Shan, you'd be familiar with the with the because you owned a Wrangler at one point, didn't For you? For quite a long time, three years. Now this one, uh, the the new Sahara or new ish, um, it has the eight speed auto. Um, the reason it's it, it, you know, it first appeared in its current guys back in 2018, um, it's it's now all wheel drive. The manual is gone, um, and it's picking up a few sales because people have been weirdly people have been have been interested with the Ford Bronco and realised that it's going to take a while to get here. And this one is about thirty thousand dirhams less than the Bronco in terms of getting a vehicle that has the uh, you, know, you can remove panels and you can and you can have that sort of freedom kind of thing. So. The, the the Wranglers starting to get a bit of a a, a resurgence because mm. uh, people are waiting for the the Bronco and realizing it's going to be there a while. 
It's a great car, the Wrangler. I don't know if the Wrangler's as resurgent so much. It's always done well out here, but I think people are just buying what they can get because once again, I hate to say it, chip shortage. There are no cars. Yeah. There are a few Broncos left at the local Dila Altair Motors. Pop in and see them. They're not cheap, which is another factor. Yeah. They are considerably more expensive than the Wrangler equivalent. But it is a good car. I actually rate the Bronco higher than the Wrangler, and I used to own a Wrangler yeah. in some aspects. Well, the Wrangler, I mean, the, the one I drove, a 3.6 litre V6, as we said, it's 159,900 dirhams um, for the Sahara. Gone a little bit up, up spec in terms of its trim. Uh, a few more features inside um, with um, with the, the infotainment system. Um, is has gone up a little bit as well. So it's got a 7-inch touchscreen, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay um, that runs through the Uconnect system that, that Stellantis runs through their cars, nine-speaker stereo. Ambient interior lighting for a Jeep Wrangler. I never thought I'd see the day. Um, <laughs> so there was that. Uh, and then I jumped into the BMW M3. Totally different. Mm. 503 horsepower. Which one did you go off-road in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Jeep, of course. Um, yeah, 503 horsepower, 600 newton metres of torque, 3.6 to 100k. And um, 450,000 dirhams. Now, the thing is with the M3 and the M4... It's now moved it out of the competing with the AMGs and Audi RS kind of things. With that, that kind of price point, it's moved into Porsche 911 and Aston Vantage. With the numbers that they're selling and the horsepower that you're getting out of these cars now with a 500 horsepower, um, which is uh, with the competition model, the normal one's 473. Yeah. It just lifts it up a little bit. So, you know, 290 kilometres now top end aren't now you, from an M3. Aren't you getting into some... You're getting into some serious car territory there. Well, this is it. It's kind of it's it's left the AMGs behind. That the C class, like the old, it used to be M3 versus C63. They're gone because the C63, God love it. I remember it when they were, when they were nice. Um, it, it's now a four cylinder <laughs> hybrid, and not the six point two liter V8. Right. Um, but it'll put up the same numbers. Let's be fair. I think the C63, not a 63 anymore, will probably put out the same numbers and be competitive in the same. But it just won't have the same flavor, will it? No. With a little four-cylinder. No. It just has a thought. The Camry that you get into when you're taxiing has more, a bigger engine than a Mercedes C63. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, cra- that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And so, Noel, yeah. um, the Ram, tell us about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> I, I had the Limited, okay, which yeah. is the, uh, there's obviously the Rebel, which is the, uh, you know, you start starting off uh, level and then you get into the Limited. I don't quite know what is limited um, and why Americans use the term limited because it is not limited. It's got everything in it. I mean, it is a luxury car. Mm. It just happens to have a pickup big. Incredibly, big on the back. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I loved it. I actually, it's, it's every so you know, every so often you get a car and you don't want to give it back. <laughs> I gave it back <laughs> yesterday, and I was like, "Do I have to? Can I keep it for a bit longer?" But uh, no, fantastic, um, super comfortable. Uh, easy to drive. It's got cameras everywhere. It's, it's a limousine, though, isn't it? Oh, it's got more rear legroom than any luxury car I can think of. Yeah, 100%. And more luxurious than a lot. Yeah. My kids were running around in the back. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Inside. and Not not in the pickup. Inside yeah. the car. I mean, crazy. Completely crazy. But um, fantastic. Yeah, really, really yeah. nice. It. I'm actually... I might consider one, actually. But, well, um, okay. yeah. I had one. They're great. Yeah. I would yeah. say it's actually... And I've had a long career of owning... What should be reliable cars? The Ram pickup was the most reliable car I've ever had. It had one problem, which is a tie rod, which is it got off-roaded a lot. Yeah. But apart from that, it never had a single issue. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm going to be jumping in the new F-150 Raptor pretty soon, so I want to 
be interesting to see if that sticks up to the memory of the old one, the the first one that I drove, mm. and how that compares to, then, to these. Yeah, and also you've got to compare that to the TRX. Absolutely. TRX haven't driven well. the TRX yet. No, yeah. same, I so. have, so I can tell you all about it. Oh. Well, well, I'll tell you what, we'll come to that next time because you, I want to know about this, this Porsche that you've been driving. So I have been driving the 1994 Porsche 911 3.6 turbo. So very interesting example, only 26,000 kilometers on the clock. It's pretty much box fresh for wow. 1994. Really, really nice car. Interesting color. I would describe it as sort of like a light green. Mm. 355 horsepower. Uh, rear wheel drive. Mm. So today turbos are all four wheel drive, etc. But this is rear wheel drive, which is pretty rare um, and what's it like to drive a car from the 90s today in traffic first of all visibility is unbelievable it's like you're an F-16 you can just see in every direction around you because the pillars are so thin of course safety is not quite the same as a modern car but you know you live with what you get mm. um, here's the thing that people ask me a lot, like, what's the air conditioning like in these old cars ice cold Baltic it's like being in the North Pole it was again it's it's a very small cabin, so you get plenty of nice, wonderful AC. Let's get past the AC and look at the actual performance. Um, 355 horsepower. Mm. Do they make them like they used to? Well, here's a bit of a shocker, because this is the car that you remember from Bad Boys doing a drag race with the AC Cobra yeah. Yeah. Um, and beating an AC Cobra in a straight line, which is a bit tenuous because Cobras are one thing they're good at is straight lines. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say the 911 was that fast by modern standards. Until you got to 4,000 RPM, the turbo didn't really kick in. Yeah. So you had to really rev the guts out of it. And then you got some serious speed. But you were going pretty fast at 4,000 RPM. So it's kind of a top-end, straight-line monster. In the corners, typical 911. Um, not the most talkative steering. The chassis is what it is. If you know all 911s, they can be a little hairy. But this one is pretty planted. It has massive wheels. Mm. So all sort of 911 bad behavior is gone. But you get the feeling that at the top end, it'll wipe you out if you're not careful. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've still got an inkling, inkling for classic cars. Yeah, oh, I absolutely. love them. And we're going to be talking uh, EVs, the other end of the scale. So uh, an EV battery life, because that's an issue that is uh, obviously it's on the top of everyone's, everyone's thoughts when they're thinking about how they can get around with electric vehicles in this region. We're going to give you all those answers with Motomania. A lot of questions about electric vehicles and uh, and whether they can get around the Emirates, whether they can get from Emirate to Emirate on uh, and on a charge and how many times, more importantly, as uh, battery life is improving. So I'm still joined, of course, by uh, Inter Shanjata and uh, Noel Ebden, but we're also now joined by Salman Hussain, who is the CEO and co-founder of Fuse. We had Salman in here a while ago talking about that fantastic VW Beetle that uh, that he's uh, he's worked, and he and his team uh, convert petrol cars into electric cars. And um, Salman, good morning. Good morning, hi Damien. Nice to have you have me again on the show. So yeah, looking forward to it. Great to have you in here. Now you know uh, EVs inside and out. And in, uh, uh, if you have uh, uh, any questions, text us four double zero one or WhatsApp us zero four eight seven one double five double zero. Anything to do with electric vehicles and uh, and range? Salman's the guy. He's he's right here in the studio. Um, so last time we spoke, you had that classic Beetle. What's uh, what, what what projects are you working on now? So we actually, uh, me and my uh, co-founder, actually he's sitting in the room over there, Mihai, uh, we've, we're now working on the Nissan Patrol. Um, I, was, I was actually in the UK about three to four weeks ago for the um, electric vehicle summit called Fully Charged. Yes, and it's, yes. Uh, it was gorgeous. Uh, we got to see a 600 horsepower conversion of a Land Rover Defender which is very, very quick, and it's, uh, it's 
very scary as well because uh, getting a ride in one of those is is very interesting <laughs> experience i'll tell you so we're trying to mimic something similar cuz that's the system that we have um and then we're also working on a PLP50 conversion which oh, is really? yeah which is oh. uh, the world's smallest car it have to be the world's smallest electric motor to fit into it too that's so <laughs> tiny yeah <laughs> um, would you uh, would you get, would you drive that on dubai roads uh, maybe on the cycleway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the question is, can you drive it on Dubai roads? Yeah, well, yes, exactly. I know someone who owns one, and I've never seen him drive it on the roads, but I would love to. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, so busy, busy time. You've also um, you've just attended the summit in Abu Dhabi, the Electric Vehicle Innovation Summit yeah, as well. Yeah, so we were exhibiting back there. Caught quite a lot of interest, um, a, lot of, a lot of exposure for our car. Obviously, a lot of the uh, big brands also joining in, so it was a... It looked like the summit had a lot of effect, and obviously there's news that came out of it as well. Mm. It's pretty interesting. So uh, clearly, this shift is there's like a shift in the trend, and it's coming quickly. Yeah, uh, it's it's coming quite quickly. Well, Abu Dhabi launched um, a new regulatory policy for electric vehicles, which is really important for the charging infrastructure uh, in in the Emirate in Abu Dhabi. So that's coming now. That means that there's going to be charging stations are going to be popping up all over the capital. Um, I know uh, Adnoc is working hard on that as well. What's your prediction in terms of of key areas where we might start to see that happen first? Well, here's the thing, right? Uh, that that bit of legislation is really important because for the last uh, however many years, all the charge point operators that were coming into so the private um, the private companies had no monetization from charging stations because they were not able to charge for charging your vehicle. But now with this policy, they can. So there's a huge incentive for players to enter the market and to make a bit of money. And obviously, you know, uh, the government benefits off it as well. So mm. we will see a lot of charging station manufact- uh, sort of startups come in, big players come in. Uh, there's going to be acquisitions the likes of uh, in the UK where Chargemaster got acquired by BP and a couple others. So we're going to see all of this now happening at a much quicker level. And definitely, look, I, I, I went to the Innovation Summit every single day in an electric car, back and forth. Yeah. Okay. And I can tell you that it's it's still not an easy journey, unfortunately. But uh, but it's one that now hopefully will get better with this. So so what's, what sort of time frame do you think with this might take to get happening? Uh, in the UK, I would say all of these had happened a couple of years ago. But when it did happen, it took a span of maybe a year a year to two years. You'd, you'd have uh, charging stations popping up quickly because they're not exactly very difficult to install. So it's it's a simple enough thing to do. And the UAE has a lot of available uh, grid power to be mm. able to put them without mm. any issues. So I don't think that that's the issue here. The uh, the only thing really is just the uptake and then the viability or profitability of these companies, mm. which which now there is a case for. And as, as we know as well, the UAE does things much quicker than, uh, certainly than Europe does. I mean, Europe, oh, is, sure. uh, there's so, so much discussion goes on before anything actually happens and the UAE just gets on with it and gets it done. Well, to give you an yeah. example, uh, Diwa has um, has a, an EV green charger initiative, of course, but, but that has been doing so well since it started off. They're they're providing now more than uh, the last figure I heard was 8,800 megawatt hours of electricity to charge electric vehicles since they started it in 2015. So, you know, we had nothing at, at the start of 2015 and we've got we're approaching 10,000 megawatt hours that's gone into EVs in the region. So, as you say, like they just get things done, don't yeah, they? Absolutely. Um, what, what sort of te- what sort of teething problems could you foresee in, in sort of getting this up and running is is will this will this be the end of range anxiety once this all starts to happen the good thing about the UAE is a it's very well connected and b it's a small country so the charging network doesn't need to be too big you know um when you see 
what's what's out there in the diva initiative look the diva charges have helped countless number of people mm. but they're not without problems you know they have had um, a couple of times when i've tried charging and sometimes you know the uh, the charging protocol would fail or something like that so it's it could definitely use the improvement but now that you're seeing a lot of these new charging companies come in so in abu dhabi there's a company called pulse that's out there they've got yes. the, they've got an app and they've got the the charging sort of uh, initiative through the app as well now these kind of companies are going to address that problem uh, being private players they have an interest in keeping the uptime which means the chargers you know maintained and and good so we're going to see this go away very very quickly yeah absolutely we've got a question in from uh, for for you uh, that's coming from Salman and he's asked how much would it cost to convert a 2015 F150 that's an interesting one because <laughs> as fuse we're looking at uh, classic cars so we pre- because the re- legislation at this point is a bit easier for classic cars but something like an F150 would probably do with like a 200 horsepower 250 horsepower conversion and a 60 to 70 kilowatt hour range to give you mm. about maybe 200 to 250 kilometers of range and something like that would probably end up costing you about let's say about 250,000 to 270,000 dirhams okay from start to finish yeah yeah and and, and what's sort the of time frame would it take to to roll in roll out if we had all the parts uh, which is something that you know we're constantly working towards i would say it would probably take between two weeks to maximum like a month to roll it out oh wow that's quick that's uh, i was expecting you to say longer than that that's yeah. a, that's quick timing yeah one of the things um is uh with with this region and I'd like to get your thoughts on is uh with with this rollout of you know charging infrastructure how do we get around the issue of the fact that a lot of us live in high rise towers that don't have you know charging base for everyone um and I think we've discussed this before I've I've had a couple of EVs I live in a high rise tower uh, I had a few EVs obviously you borrowed a test to 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 charge um and I've just plugged into the three point into the wall and basically I'm taking electricity off off my tenants or they're paying for it <laughs> um and getting away with it but obviously that's that's not going to last forever so if you live in a villa it's a it's an easy one you you get the wall charger but how would you get around the issue of of people who are living in 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 high rise apartments so there's a lot of solutions now that are coming out for this there's a very interesting uh, tech star startup in the US called Spark Charge and what they do is they have these um mobile sort of charging units that you can install in the car or any operator can then deliver to you let's say you're you know at home in a in an apartment building or whether you're standing on the road i think they're offering something like 20 kilowatt dc charging so it's fast charging um and it can get you out in a you know in a sort of pinch mm. uh, so so there's solutions like this coming there's also a very interesting startup in saudi called electromin that uh, that we've been speaking to and that they have these mobile charging stations like your cafe but mm. they're using electric trucks and they're using um electricity to generate and charge your vehicle if you're in a high rise so so solutions like this are coming um we've not seen any in the UAE yet but i'm certain that they'll come in this region really really quickly mm. Mm. sure i mean surely they they're, they're going to have to start building buildings with that infrastructure built in i mean that that has to be kind of the next step for i would have thought um going forward like if you're going to build a uh, high rise tower with It, it is in the surely. UK. Oh, it's yeah, as part yeah. of the building code in the UK. The problem is, is the size of the overall electric grid right now. Mm. If everyone went to the UK, you'd probably get blackouts. So that's another issue that the Absolutely. electricity, the grid side, has to deal with. But we'll 
but yeah, great idea. Um, and uh, and that's something I'm sure that the, the guys here are working on. Obviously, with the amount of work that's going on at the, the solar park is just one example. We're still talking electric vehicles. And straight off this, we're going to be comparing battery lives on different EVs and seeing how they fare on that uh, the the benchmark that everyone talks about, the Dubai Abu Dhabi to Dubai commute. Yes, Motor Mania with you through until midday. And uh, I'm uh, still joined, of course, by Indeshant Jado and Noel Ebden. And, of course, Salman Hussein, who is the CEO and founder of Fuse. He converts petrol cars into EVs, including some really cool classics. Now, we've got a, uh, a question here. Uh, school project from uh, from Timmy. And little Timmy asks, what's the difference in range do EVs exhibit mid-summer here compared to mid-winter? He thinks that air conditioning and cooling the batteries must have an effect. What, what's, what's your thoughts on that one? It certainly does. Um, I've noticed that when I drive the Bolt, which I uh, I daily I've been driving for three years, there's about a 17% loss in uh, you know energy, but that usually comes from uh, cooling, obviously you, uh, so the passenger compartment, and a little bit obviously for the battery conditioning as well, but not as much as you think, you know, mm. uh, because we're driving what at 40, 45, and actually batteries are good till 50, 55, um, but then beyond that is when you need to really bring them down because you, okay. you have issues. Yeah, yeah, so that comes from Timmy Ansel, studying for his school project. Uh, thank you for that one. Um, now, let's talk about the Dubai to Abu Dhabi commute. Uh, now, it's slowed down during the pandemic, uh, but it's come back. Um, lots of people now travelling between the two, between the two Emirates on, the, on a daily basis. The uh, Obviously, the... The, the testing facilities have, have, have dropped. You can go there and back now, which is great. And it's now playing on people's range anxiety issues. So I'm going to throw this one to you, uh, Salman. You've just been doing the, the commute. Um, out there. How many times did you get from Dubai to Abu Dhabi without stopping to recharge? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. The Bolt needed a bit of a top-up in yep. Abu Dhabi, and I had to stop. Um, but I have to say that it, it really varies depending on which charging infrastructure I think we all know that Tesla has its own supercharger network, and really that helps a lot. Mm. So, you know, when you're talking about that kind of uh, standard drive between Dubai and Abu Dhabi, um, it, it it really does make a difference if you have what ac- charger network you have access to. Yeah. So, so how would you compare then? Okay, the Bolt, which has obviously it has a smaller battery, to the Tesla Model Three, uh, the standard one, for instance. Okay. Um, what, what, what sort of comparison could you get from, well, from those two? It's interesting because the standard range Model 3 is about 50 kilowatt hour, but it's about the same range. But the difference comes in when you, when you compare both of these vehicles um, is in the charging station availability. So for me, I would have to, I actually did stop at the Al-Fursan Resort. So yeah. that's the only charger I had working with the Bolt. Um, surprisingly, the others gave me a little bit of uh, trouble and... I ended up staying a bit too long in one of the Dubai charges <laughs> till like 11 a.m. by the time I got back home the first night. So not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> but the Tesla supercharger network, actually, it works faster. So it goes up to 200, I think even 250 kilowatts in some cases. And um, it's uh, also available at much closer uh, to the highway at Mazdar mm-hmm. City. So you have a way, you have a much smoother and seamless experience driving that Tesla to and from than you would probably the Bolt, which... Unfortunately, I experienced this week. So. Yeah. <laughs> but you sh- surely you should be able to get, I mean, in something like a Tesla, you should be able to drive from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. And then when you get to your office, charge and then drive back again. I mean, it's not that far. I mean, it's only, what, 100-odd kilometres. Uh, so, yeah. I, w- I mean, surely that must be a, people. Is there anyone, can you, have, do you, have you come across anyone who's commuting in one? Uh, actually, very interestingly, uh, I know somebody who's doing the charger to Alain because he used to work Oof. in in a lane mm. every single day in a Bolt EV. 
Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Our, our friend here needed to charge, uh, to top up in Alain for sure. And then mm. obviously when he came back home, he would have to, because he was on empty, he would have to plug it in to a nearby charger. And he still does it. Yeah. So he's got... How long does that battery last? If you're talking about full top up, f- almost full drain every night for days on end. How does that affect battery life? Um, you know, for the Bolt specifically, the uh, numbers that have been coming out since 2017 are actually pretty promising. And the reason is because the chemistry, the, I don't want to get too technical here, but the, but the way they've arranged the cooling system and the batteries is actually one of the best that you'll see even better than a Tesla. So because those batteries are kind of within certain temperature limits and within certain criteria, um, they're doing quite okay. Uh, I would say Tesla stresses their cells a little bit more. Mm. Um, so the degradation is a little bit higher, but we're still seeing like up to 90% after like 100, 150,000 kilometers on a Bolt. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know someone who drove uh, a, a Porsche Taycan Turbo from Dubai to Abu Dhabi and back, uh, stayed in Abu Dhabi, did a bit of work for a day or two, and then drove back. And I literally ran into him um, at, when he was pulling back into his driveway in the office and had about... 80 kilometers left on on the on the range interesting now this guy loves his performance cars and uh and and races cars and he's all about performance and he says you know what i said i'm going to i'm going to get rid of this he's owned it for 18 months so he's one of the first guys to get a take out and he said i'm going to get rid of this because um i want the model below that because it has enough performance for me as it is as compared to the turbo and it gives me more range so I found it like I'm finding it's it's a it's a it's a mindset change. People traditionally talking about boasting about how much performance they've got out of a car and what sort of acceleration they can get. And I'm finding out with a few EV people I'm talking to, they're going the other way, saying, "Look, I can forego a little bit of performance because all electric cars are quick. Let's let's not beat mm-hmm. around the bush. All electric cars in their category are quick, but they prefer to go with more range. And so that's the way he went. Now, I, I had a I borrowed a Taycan rear wheel drive some time ago. And I drove that out to Lewa um, from from Dubai, charged it out there, but it made it out to Lewa. Out there, the roads there, the speed limit is 160 kilometers an hour, sat on 160. I tried to just to match the speed limit. I didn't want to hold back and just see what I could do. Um, and it, it made it out to uh, the, the there's a, a resort out there in, in Lewa. Um, it was a three and a half hour drive. Half of that was at 160 kilometers per hour, and it got there fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, push push taken. I mean, performance vehicles like that. What sort of performance wise, you you'll be able to get a couple of runs, surely. I'm sure. Yeah, you know that's an interesting question. Also, uh, you have to tie in with the fact that uh, right now, I hope your friend is uh, getting a little bit of a premium on that car because obviously cars are a little bit hard to come by. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, he's wa- uh, he's waiting for the next one, so he knows well well and truly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know what uh, the Porsche. In fact, uh, the Tilaliba Resort. If it's this, if this is the one that 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 you're talking about uh, we inaugurated yeah. that charger back in 2017 when we were doing the uh, EBRT so uh, those are very reliable chargers yeah and uh, certainly there are a lot of cars now that can do what even a thousand kilometers you've got this uh, Mercedes that's come out so range is not an issue anymore um, it's really just addressing the charging stations and just a quick top up when we did stop and I did stop last week it was only for five to ten minutes mm. so it was not that much but it was because I wanted to really not you know, hold back or drive at 80 or 90. I want to drive at 140 mm. on the highway. And that's the only reason I stopped. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we talk about cars with, with range, new cars. Lucid are ready to go into production with their car. They're building a factory in, in, in the region, Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, that's getting a lot of interest. They're talking um, eight 900 kilometer range out of that one. Have you heard much about 
what's happening with 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 uh, Lucid Technologies? Oh yeah, Lucid is uh, so I I've been talking to the regional sort of head of expansion, mm. um, and uh, a great guy. Uh, he's basically talking about having a rollout within all of the uh, GCC countries within the next 18 months or so. And obviously, UAE is one of the first one, uh, first ones to get it, being that we have actually some of the most CVs in this whole region. Um, I say except for Jordan, maybe. But yeah, definitely in the GCC region, we have uh, the most TVs. Yeah. So big plans for Lucid. They're coming. They're coming to Bahrain. They're coming to UAE. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Ibn Shah, would you go a resto with, with, uh, with an EV? Considering- oh, absolutely. It's one way to get these cars back on the road that are beyond reasonable economic measure of restoration. Just pop an EV drivetrain. And I made it sound so easy. Just pop an EV drivetrain. <laughs> but yeah. I was you supposed- should do a 30-minute reality TV show by the sound of it. Yeah, a lot of shouting just, and We'll, we'll just quickly restore a car over three years in the space I'd, of two I'd ad wa- breaks. I'd watch that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Salman knows all about restoring and uh, turning a ev- car into an EV. It's not an easy thing, but it is possible. But for specific cars, it makes a lot of sense that are about to be scrapped. If the body is good, the chassis is good, but the engine's a dead loss, well, then put an EV in there. I totally would do it. Yeah, mm. and and of course you've got the the beetle. What what's next on the on the list? Well, we asked you, didn't we? You've got the the patrol coming up. Yeah, we've got the patrol coming up. Uh, we've got the peel, and then a lot of cars uh, coming in. A lot of Mercedes actually. A lot of um, R one o sevens. A lot of oh, a lot really? of inquiries okay. around those. Uh, so makes sense though. They're yeah, big cruisy yeah. GT cars, and no, there's, and there's lots of them in the region as well. I actually yeah. think for the older style of. Luxury cars, so the old Rolls Royces and old Bentleys yep. would be perfect 100%. because they were de- their engine is designed to run like an EV anyway, silent, lots of torque, yep. um, so perfect. But anyway, look, um, we could talk here forever. Thank you so much, Salman Hussain, um, for, for dropping in. CEO and founder of Fuse, so much information about electric vehicles coming this way. Uh, in Chanjada, Noel Ebden, thanks again for, for kicking in. Noel, quickly, you've got uh, yeah. an event this weekend. Well, I'm not on it, unfortunately, but a big shout out to the uh, about 13 or 14 cars that are on the Three Peaks Challenge. Yes. They're doing the uh, Jebel Hafeet, Jebel Yabir, Jebel Jace drive, and most of them are in air-cooled cars with no air conditioning, and there is also a 1950s Elvis, where which has absolutely no roof whatsoever, so there are lots of sunscreen, lots of caps. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. and, a, and a shout out to Jason Goddard, who's doing it in a caterham. Yes, too. brave He's man, sweet. brave man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's we're going to leave it for you this week for, for Motor Media. And uh, thank you again, guys, so much. And we'll see you back here in two weeks' time for more Car Talk with Motor Mania.